You are listening to audio from the Rail City campus of CA Church. We are a church fervently committed to bringing the good news to the city of Port Moody. We hope this message helps you grow in your personal relationship with Jesus. Hey, so good to have you here. What a great Sunday we're having so far. Thanks, Val, for hosting. Thanks for the team leading us in music. Uh, great energy. It's so good to be here. And honestly, I like it's the second week of spring break. So to be honest, I was a little nervous. You know, I was like, oh, is anyone going to be here? And it's a, it's a great Sunday. So thanks for, for coming on out. Uh, we are so excited to have you here. My name's Cam. One of the pastors here at CA Church, uh, the campus pastor here at Rail City Campus, we launched this campus. If you are new, we launched in September, and really our heart is that we are a church that is fervently committed to bringing the good news, the gospel, to the city of Port Moody. And, uh, and so if you walked here or drove less than six minutes, uh, this is why we're here. <laughs> if you've commuted here from New Westminster or Burnaby or, or somewhere else in the Tri-Cities, you are also so, so welcome, and, and we're glad you're here. We hope that you could find church home in this place. Over the last, uh, how many weeks? 18 weeks, we've been walking through the book of Ephesians. Uh, it's, a, it's an amazing book. Uh, it's got so much to tell us about who we are uh, because of what Jesus has done, how we are called to live. And now we're moving into a section that actually speaks about how the gospel, how Jesus impacts our relationships. Specifically today, speaking to marital relationships. Now, just hear me out. If you're not married, you're single, or uh, for whatever reason, I, I believe there's something for you here today. Uh, but, but we are going to dig a little bit deeper into that idea. And I was starting to think about uh, marriages, you know, marriage, marriage, right? And I was thinking, I was like, um, I often actually officiate weddings on the side, right? It's my side hustle. Uh, so, you know, just get people married and buried, right? And it's like... Um, <laughs> Sorry, that was, that was it might have crossed the line. Uh, anyways, but um, <laughs> but uh, but anyways, you know it's been really cool. I've had the the honor actually I did my brother and sister in law's wedding, and I've done many some of you in this room. Uh, but I also do a lot of weddings outside of the church. And uh, one of the weddings I happen to do, just for like friends from high school and stuff, no one knows a, a pastor anymore, right? So they're like, hey, you're the only pastor we know. Can you do our wedding? Yeah, for sure. Let's do this. But um, I was at the Maple Ridge Golf Course. I was officiating a wedding for this Italian couple. And it must have been, honestly, it was one of the hottest days of that summer. It had to be 35 plus degrees. It was no heat dome, all right? It wasn't a heat dome, but uh, it was pretty close. It was 35 plus degrees. The bride was incredibly late, and it was an Italian wedding. So everyone is really done up. There was no casual wear. There was no, you know, just like a, you know, a, a button-up shirt with no tie and, and some slacks. Like, it was like full-on tuxedos and suits. And so people were cooking, right? And if you know the Italian nonas, they got these long-sleeve, uh, you know, dresses and all that. And so they're, everyone's fanning themselves, and the bride is late, and I'm the pastor, right? I'm standing up there just grinning and smiling and, uh, you know, ah, yes, and, and just waiting for this bride to arrive. It was so hot out. And I, I'm not joking. Suddenly, uh, <laughs> the, everyone's just sitting there waiting, and the sprinklers start going off, Okay, soaking everyone. Nona's are running like ah, right, and they're screaming and uh, and and you know the the old guys they're they're you know getting their jackets and shielding their wives and it was just it was a scene straight out of a movie. I'm not exaggerating at all. 
We're all running. The staff is running out so embarrassed with towels, drying off the chairs, all this kind of stuff. And the bride still isn't there. (laughs) In fact, she's in the back now crying because the sprinklers went off at her wedding, right? (laughs) So finally, she arrives. By that point, everyone has dried off. It's that hot out. And they begin to become moist again just from perspiration, you know? Like, it's like that's how long it's been. Uh, And uh, and so the bride finally shows up. And right as, you know, she walks down the aisle and her dad is there with her. And I say, you know, who, who gives this woman to be married to this man? Him and his wife say, we do. The whole thing. He looks at me, he goes, hey, priest, chop, 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 all right? Like, it's hot out here, my, my mama, right? He's like, he's like he's so, I'm not joking, this actually happened. It's strange. So I'm standing up there, and I'm like, oh, my gosh, what am I going to do? It's 35 degrees out. This guy thinks I'm a priest. And, uh, <laughs> and not only that, and suddenly it, 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 it hits me. They've asked me to preach Ephesians chapter 5, 22 to 33, one of the most densest theological passages in all of Ephesians. And not only that, it's also incredibly controversial because of its content. Uh, and, uh, and so if you, you don't know the one, it talks about wives submitting their husbands and husbands laying down their lives. And I am up there and I'm going, oh my goodness, I need to do this wedding in like 12 minutes. How am I going to do this? So, of course, I just quickly switched to 1 Corinthians 13, right? <laughs> love is patient. Love is kind. It makes no records of wrongs. <laughs> right? And everyone's like, oh, they're just, they're warmed, right? Their hearts are warmed. It's great. No controversial passages. The couple didn't even notice. They were just so overwhelmed by the situation. <laughs> well, that's not going to happen today. The sprinklers have not gone off. Even though I tried to pay Paul to do it, I did. And he said, sorry, i got to be at Mariner Campus. Uh, It's not 35 degrees. It's pretty nice in here today. It's not too cold, not too hot. And we've been walking through this book. We believe it's the word of God. We're not going to skip over sections because it's challenging or it's difficult. But we're going to look at it. We're going to look at it and see what it says for us here today. And so if you're willing and able... Will you please stand uh, as we read God's word. Ephesians chapter 5. We're going to start in verse 21. Okay. Verse 21. Put on your seatbelts. Here's what it says. And further, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For wives, this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For husband is the head of his wife as Christ is the head of the church. He is the savior of his body, the church. And as the church submits to Christ, so wives, you should submit to your husbands and everything. For husbands, this means love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church, he gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean and washed by the cleansing of God's word. He says he did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without spot or wrinkle Or any blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way. Husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his wife is actually showing love to himself. No one one hates his own body, but he feeds and cares for it, just as Christ cares for the church. And we're members of his body. As the scriptures say, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it's an illustration of the way that Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man should love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. God, this is a uh, challenging passage. 
in 2022 in Port Moody. (laughs) And so I pray today, since we believe this is your word, that you would speak. You'd speak to our hearts. You would give us insight into this passage so that, Lord, we would fully understand it. We'd give it ear and we would live according to it. So I pray you'd help me today as I communicate that. And as I speak to minds, you'd speak to hearts. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You may be seated. I told you. (laughs) I told you. You can probably understand why I switched that scripture that day, right? I had like six minutes, max. It's a hard passage. It's dense, theological. Talks about wives submitting to their husbands and husbands laying down their lives and headship and leaving and cleaving. Uh, and, uh, and, and, you know, it sounds very patriarchal, doesn't it? Uh, some upon hearing this would say, listen, this is completely out of touch. Uh, some may even suggest it's irrelevant. Others maybe even would say this text is oppressive. Oppressive to women and oppressive to society. And of all Bible texts... There are few that have been used as much as this one in ways that are harmful and not helpful. Few passages that have been misunderstood to the degree in which this one has. Few passages that have just taken on the the voice of culture or the voice of the times rather than living counterculturally as it's calling us to do. So what do we do when we read a passage like this in the Bible? What do we think? When we hear its words, do we just chalk it up like, ah, listen, that was a long time ago. It was different times. Whatever. They just, you know, they saw things differently back then. What else? Do, some, do we go, yeah, you know, some parts of the Bible are inspired, but other parts aren't. Do we accept it? Do we reject it? Do we redeem it? What do we do? So just track with me here. If this is God's word and it is given to us in love, then surely we should give ear to it. If this text has been read at millions of weddings, millions of weddings, surely there's something for us. And more than that, if you are here, you're you're likely a follower of Jesus or you're someone who is inquiring about faith. And so why not hear what we think about marriage? What a great place to start. I think if we put our assumptions on hold today and give it a chance, I think we might actually be surprised what it says, what it's truly saying. Because here's what we need to do. We need first to speak to context. I'll tell you right now, there, there was a, a train of thought for a long time with people of the Bible. They're like, no, it is, it is just, you know, you read it and whatever it says, that's exactly what it means. But the thing you have to understand is that context matters. Context matters. Who, when, where, and why something was written matters. Yes, this was written to us. We believe that it is still relevant to us today. But Paul was writing to a people 2,000 years ago in ancient Ephesus, a culture that was vastly different than ours in many ways. In many ways. And so if you're new to the book of Ephesians, let me just give you a quick, a quick synopsis. There's a guy named Paul. He hated Christians. He murdered Christians. He had an encounter with Jesus that changed his life. Paul ended up becoming a missionary to the the world in which, you know, 
where people just didn't know the gospel, hadn't heard about God. He went about doing missionary, missionary work, including in the city of Ephesus. But later on in his life, he was actually imprisoned for the things that he taught and the things that he believed because they were counter to the Roman and Greek culture. And so in his imprisonment, he continued his ministry through writing letters. This is one of his letters to an ancient church in the city of Ephesus. Paul is writing to a Greco-Roman society, to a community that is fairly diverse because it's in a Roman city. It's also a port city, very much like Port Moody or Vancouver. Um, and, and yet, most of the people there hold to a Greco-Roman or Jewish worldview. In both cultures... Here's the reality. Men ruled the world. The future might be female, but the past was certainly male in that time, all right? And the patriarchy was at large. Men were the only ones seen as truly human in that society. Women, children, and slaves were considered second-class citizens. In fact, property with almost no rights or grounds. And I don't share this with you to commend it by any means. It's to give us the context of, to which this was written into. The Jewish culture, which probably was the best of all cultures to be a woman in that day, was equally as challenging. In fact, William Barclay describes it this way. Here's what he says. The Jews had a low view of women. In the morning, there was a prayer that was a sentence in which a Jewish man every morning would give thanks to God. He was not made a Gentile, a slave, or a woman. This is atrocious. In Jewish law, a woman was not a person but a thing. She had no legal rights whatsoever. She was absolutely her husband's possession to do with as he willed. And it would shock you that it actually gets worse than that. In the Greco-Roman society, Aristotle, the great Greek philosopher, the one we look to, you know, in all our university classes as this great source of wisdom and logic and, you know, guiding light for society... Here's what Aristotle had to say about women. He says, hence, there are by nature various classes of rulers and ruled. For the free rules the slave, the male, the female, the man, the child. This is straight out of his writings. And so in the Greek context, a wife was expected to run the home, care for legitimate children. But she was not seen as someone to seek friendship or companionship or even pleasure other than when procreating, men would find that outside of the home. In Ephesus, fidelity and family were not values. In fact, I, I, I've been to the ancient city of Ephesus, and you can see signs. I won't describe what the signs look like and are uh, showing, but these signs that would actually point to where the local brothel was. There was a tunnel from the library to places where men could commit adultery. In fact, the major god of the city of, Art, uh, of Ephesus was Artemis. To worship Artemis, people would literally go and participate in orgies, or they would sleep with priestesses. Fidelity and family and value of people and women was not present in this culture and in this day. So the reason I tell you this is that this is the context in which Paul pens these words. And they would have shocked the community of believers. They would have been an absolute just like enigma to them. As they were reading these words, they would have been startled by what Paul had to say. It's into this context that it says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. 
Wives, submit to your husbands. Husbands, lay down your life. Lay down your life. It's into that context that he writes these things. And so as, as this, this letter would be read out in the church of Ephesus, trust me, it would not be the women protesting. It would be the men. There was an article in, uh, in Christianity Today where they did one of those old school cartoons you used to see in the newspaper, you know, the ones I'm talking about. And it depicts this scene of Paul walking into the city of Ephesus with a bunch of women holding signs that said, Paul, you chauvinist pig, right? This is the Christianity Today. I think I can say that. Paul, the misogynist. Paul, you're unwelcome here. Paul, you're canceled, right? And, and at the very bottom of the letter, there, Paul with his scrolls <laughs> and a bedroll. This is what he's holding in the paper. I tried to find it. He uh, said, oh, I heard you got my letter, right? <laughs> in that day and in that time, it would not have been the women protesting this passage. It would have been the men. The men would have been saying, Paul, what are you doing? Don't mess this up. You're upsetting the established order of things. Don't screw this up, Paul. Why are you messing with the patriarchy? We have control. We have power. Paul, don't tell us to live like Jesus in this way. Let me explain. This was revolutionary. And here's why. It all hinges on this one verse. And for some reason, when it comes to weddings... For some reason, when it comes to quoting this passage, we always skip over verse 21. As if it's not relevant or it's not real. or We just go straight to 22. Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. What? Right? And women are just appalled in 2022. But verse 2021, it all hinges on this idea. Here's what it says. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Here's what Paul is doing. He, he, this, is, this is almost his thesis. It is his big idea. It is his main point heading into the next few paragraphs. He is calling the church to live a life of submission to each other. And what he's actually doing is he is leveling the playing field for women. You, you might not believe me. But in that culture, both the husband... If you read the rest of the chapter, the father and the master were all men. They were all men. In that culture, women and children and slaves submitted to men. And so Paul, coming out of the gates, is, he is turning the entire thing on its head. He's shocking the ancient world because he's not just calling. And these were three very common groups to refer to when it came to house code or house rules in that day. As the Greeks wrote about it or the Jews, they would refer to these three groups of people. But the person who was always excluded from the house rules was who? The man. And so Paul bursts onto the scene. He says, hey, guess what? Submit to one another, all of you. Submit to one another, out of reverence for Christ. And now he begins to give some examples. For wives, this means submit to your husbands. Here's an interesting point, just to shock the, the room a little bit. When it says for wives, this means to submit to your husbands. That word submit to right there is not in the original manuscripts. It was added by translators. It was added by translators to try and make sense of the text. What Paul was actually saying, and Daryl Johnson helped me with this as I was reading his book, 
He was saying, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Let me give you an example. You know the way that women in, in this culture are submitting to their husbands? That, that's what I'm talking about. And the men would go, yes, amen, right? Very good, Paul, right? And then the letter kept going, right? He says, and husbands, lay down your lives as Christ laid down his life for the church. Sorry, what? <laughs> right? You, you're, you're also calling me? To take a step down, you're calling me to serve, you're calling me to die? The ancient world would not have heard these words and appreciated them, especially the men. Here's what is happening it's incredibly unusual, it's unthinkable to the ancient reader. And what Paul is doing is he is bringing equality to a world without any. Paul is calling, calling men to submit their lives. As an offering before their wives. He's asking men to lower themselves so that women could be raised up. Paul is calling the Ephesians and the church to equal submission to one another. Regardless of role or class or gender or age. To imitate Jesus in the way of loving and living while here on earth. And this isn't just a 2022 pastor trying to lighten up a text. This is something that we've missed. This is a pastor who's trying to correct hundreds of years of, frankly, men abusing and misusing texts like these to continue to force their wives into submission while they rule and reign. This is a correction. A correction to a misunderstanding, one in which I'm sorry for. One in which I've preached in the past. I do not stand on this pulpit as saying, oh, man, I've got this all figured out. Man, silly man, you quoted this before. Oh, you don't understand the Bible. I, I was, right in the time that I was like kind of like coming into the church, and all, I, I was literally under the entire mold and culture of Mars Hill, which was a male-driven, uh, hyper-masculine, quite frankly chauvinistic, Church. The only way in which I heard this text preached in the past was this, wives submit to your husbands. And as I was reading Daryl this week, and as I was reading John Stackhouse this week, he wrote a book called Finally Feminist. And he goes, by feminist he means egalitarian. Oh, my, I was challenged by their words. As I read the, the other commentators William Snodgrass, he wrote the NIV application commentary. As I began to dig deeper into this text, I realized there is a lot more going on than what meets the eye. Paul is bringing about equality, not by, not by necessarily trying to raise up the classes that were low in that day, but to bring men down so that they were all equal at the foot of the cross. And so I don't stand up here as someone who's like, oh, I'm just superior in my understanding. I'm growing with us as a church as I'm learning these things. How do we know this is true? And what does it mean for us today? Listen, there's a lot of deep theology here. It is like meaty. It is so meaty. Uh, there, there's all this theology about Jesus being the head of the church and laying down his life. And, you know, it's going back to Genesis 3, leave and cleave. And there's just so much in this text. And I think we've like spilt a lot of ink <laughs> and spent a lot of sound speaking to those, those concepts in the past. And so I want to, for our sake today, continue to share with us 
this new understanding of this passage in regards to what it means to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. I have just two really simple ideas for us. Here's what they are. The first is this. We are called to, to submit or we're called to stand under one another like Jesus. We are called to submit or we're called to stand under our spouse like Jesus. Where do we get this idea? It's from verse 21 where he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This word submit to is the Greek word. It's, it's actually the word um, huposo. Huposo. And this Greek word, hupostaso, uh, sorry, let me get that right. This word actually means to stand under. Hupo means under and staso means stand. So it, it means to understand, but to not confuse our English word, we're going to use the word stand under. Stand under for today to help us with our understanding of this. Paul is calling us to stand under one another. To go under one another in order that we may lift up each other. That we may be able to raise up the other. That we be able to take the one who is oppressed and to lift them up. He's calling us to stand under one another. In our old reality, those with privilege would stand over. But in our new reality in Christ, we are now called to stand under one another. Stand under one another. This is completely different than the way their world operated and is quite different than the way our world operates today. We still, we still see that there's an inequality based off gender and race and class. This, these things still happen. This text is not being lived out today in the way it was meant to. And this is why we're called to live differently because we have a new reality oriented around the person of Jesus oriented around the person of Jesus. Let's talk about Jesus, some of the things that Jesus said. Because some of you still aren't believing me. You're still not believing me that this is what this text is speaking to. But as, as I began to read Jesus' words again through this new lens of what Paul is saying, suddenly I'm like, oh my goodness, the two are coherent. Look what he says in Mark chapter 10, verse 43 to 44. But among you, it will be different. Let me just give some context. Right before this, there was two brothers. They were fighting over who was going to sit on Jesus' left and right. You know that story? And what ends up happening, they're having this argument. All the disciples are, you know, appalled at hearing this, that they're trying to get a, a prime spot at Jesus' right and left. And he said, listen, that's the way the world works. The world works in, in such a way everyone's trying to get a leg up. Everyone's trying to get to the top. That's what you two brothers are trying to do right now by having this conversation with me. But here's what he says, Mark 10, 43 to 44. But among you, it'll be different. But among you, it'll be different. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be the slave of everyone else. These are Jesus' words. Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, what does it say? Have this mind amongst yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus. Though he was in the, he says, have the same attitude that Jesus Christ had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. His privilege with God is something to cling to. But instead he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God. 
He submitted himself in obedience to God. He stood under God. And he, he said, listen, your will be done, not mine. And he died a criminal's death on a cross. On a cross. This, this theological idea that this passage is talking about is called kenosis. It's the idea of emptying oneself. Jesus emptied himself of his divine privileges in order that he could reach us with this good news, in order that he could serve us, in order that he could die for us, in order that he could help us to have eternal life. This is who Jesus is. This is what he did. And we're called to pattern our lives after Jesus. Ephesians chapter two, verse, uh, sorry, chapter five, verse one to two. We read this passage just a few weeks ago. Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ, who loved us and offered himself to us as a sacrifice, a pleasing aroma to God. You see, Jesus subjected himself, submitted his life for ours so that we as the people of God could live in this upside down, otherworldly kind of way and begin to submit our lives to each other. So what does this look like practically? What does it mean to submit to one another? Well, right before Philippians chapter 2, 5 to 11, Paul gives us some ideas of what this looks like. And I, I always love what he says here. In fact, I've preached this at a wedding. He says, agree wholeheartedly with each other. Love one another. And work together with one mind and purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble. Thinking of others is better than yourselves. Don't look out for your interests only, but take an interest in others too. And of course, the words of Mark 10, which we just read. Whoever wants to be a leader among you must be a servant. Whoever wants to be first among you must be a slave and serve and care for your neighbor. Je Paul right now is echoing the, the heart of Jesus. Paul right now is echoing the words of Jesus. I don't understand actually how for so long I could read the words of Jesus and look at the person of Christ and then believe that somehow there was this crazy hierarchy within relationships where our life is called to look like Jesus and act like Jesus. In fact, I, you know, some, some may say, really, Jesus said these things. Really, was Jesus a champion of women? It was interesting. I was reading um, Jessica during her social work degree. Uh, I, I'm I'm not sure if it was a book for a social work degree or, or it was just a book she was reading, but there's this one called Misogyny. And the author, uh, not a believer, not a Christian, as he's speaking to the history of the liberation or the rising up or the equality of women, he actually, even though he is not a follower of Jesus, a believer of Jesus, uh, he, he points back to Jesus as one of the first people in the history of humanity to actually brought value and dignity and worth to women. And so because I believe that the Bible is cohesive, because I believe that Paul is inspired by the Spirit of God, I don't think Paul was meaning to speak into a culture more, you know, misogynistic, hierarchical, patriarchy kind of stuff. I think we just missed it. He called us to submit to one another out of reverence for Christ, following the way of Jesus. Following the way of Jesus. You know, in this kind of submission that he, he's calling us to, 
It's a mutual submission to other followers of Jesus. It models after Jesus. It's a type of submission to something and someone who has your best in mind. This is the similar to submitting yourself to the care of a doctor or a surgeon. You're saying, I'm, gonna, I'm trusting you to care for me, to help make me better. This is the kind of submission uh, that perhaps when it, when it comes to being a ch- how a child just entrusts their parents to take care of them. This is the kind of good submission, like when you're, when you're you know, on the massage table and you're getting fixed up or your chiropractor. It's funny, actually, uh, my, uh, my massage therapist, his name is Jackie Howe. He's, the, he's a really cool dude. Uh, but, uh, you know, every time I go to get a massage from him, he, he's like, he's very unorthodox, very crazy. I, I'm not even joking. One time, he, he like, on multiple occasions, he literally has, like, walked on my back, okay? Like, this is very unorthodox. But if I didn't trust him, man, that I, like, would, would I normally be like, yeah, just, like, let anyone walk on my back? Like, no way, right, ever. But I trust that he has my best in mind, that he wants to care for me, that he wants to help me, uh, you know, work out the old kinks and the pain in the lower back. And so I, I submit myself to his care. I submit myself to his care. This is what Christ is calling us to do with one another, that we submit to Jesus in each other. That we submit to uh, one another and those who care for us and love us. We're called in this text to submit to our spouse like Jesus. Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands as the Lord. Husbands, lay down your lives the way that Christ has laid down his life for the church. Here's what's happening here. This is a reversal, a great reversal of what took place in Genesis chapter 3. Humanity chose their own way, chose to do things uh, apart from God. And because of that, a curse was put upon them. And part of that curse, here's what it says in Genesis 3.16. And and he's speaking to Eve. He says, Eve, you will desire to control your husband, but he will rule over you because of this sin. You see, actually, this way of living and thinking and acting is a result of the fall. It is not God's origin from the beginning. This was part of the curse. And what is happening in Ephesians chapter 5, 22 and 25, it is reversing the fall. It is reversing. He's saying because of Jesus and what he has done, he has reversed the curse. He has put aside the brokenness. He has given us a new way of living and thinking and acting and operating that is different than the way that the world has done things. He says, Eve, you'll desire to control your husband, but he'll rule over you. Paul says, submit to your husband, but he'll lay down his life for you. Do you see the reversal that's taking place here? We're both called, both husbands and wives, we're called to ask the age-old question, WWJD. (laughs) What would Jesus do? But you know what I prefer? Instead of what would Jesus do, what did Jesus do? (laughs) WDJD. Because when we ask the question, what would Jesus do? It's like, then we're like kind of the, I don't know, the, the source of truth on what Jesus would do. And we get to decide. But if we ask ourselves the question, what did Jesus do? It gives us a very different way of thinking about even this subject. He says this, that that we're actually, how how did Jesus live? Well, he served 
Well, how did Jesus care for people? Well, he loved. How did Jesus respond? It was graciously. He gives instructions for wives and he gives instructions for husbands. And later on, he's going to give instructions for parents and then for children. And then the week after that, he's going to give instructions for masters and for slaves. He's speaking into a context, into the order of things there. Here's what he says, though. Paul says, he says, for wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. At this point in the wedding, uh, as the efficient, I always look at the, you know, the groom and I say, listen, no offense, but you're not the Lord, right? <laughs> so what does this mean, right? And, like, usually people laugh a little harder than you did. So, um, but um, <laughs> I say, no offense, you're, the, you're not the Lord. So like, what does this mean? Here's what I think this means. And this is how I've come to interpret it. We submit to the Lord Jesus in him. We submit to the stuff that looks like, smells like, and acts like Jesus. This isn't a call to submit no matter what, but this is a call to submit to Jesus in him. In fact, the Bible, and I have no time, amount of time to go into this, but it's quite actually liberating for women who are in, in awful and abusive marriages. So Jesus is not calling us to, you know, calling women or wives to submit no matter what. He's saying, submit, wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Would you submit to Jesus in him as he pursues Jesus and looks like Jesus and acts like Jesus? Would you submit to that kindness, that goodness, that graciousness, that care, that laying down of his life? Would you let him bless you? Would you let him die for you? Would you let him love you? We're also called, though, to submit like Jesus, who submitted to the Father for the sake of his church. And so for the wife, this is a call to sacrificial loving and serving. Yes, even in 2022. But husbands, you're not off the hook either. This tax perhaps even hits even harder for the men, I wonder. He says, you're called to die for your wife. I want you to give your very life. If there's a bullet coming, I want you to jump in front of it. I want you to love her no matter what. I want it to cost you. Not just sweat, not just tears, but blood. This is the level of service and sacrifice and love I'm calling you to, husbands. And the men would have said, what, Paul? I'm calling you to submit your life in such a way that you would lay it down. Some of you said, well, he doesn't say the word submit. He says love. Right? He says love. But is there any greater submission? Is there any greater standing under than to die for someone? Absolutely not. Men, we are not off the hook. You are called to stand under her, to carry her, to support her and serve her the way Christ has done for you. Here's what this means. No more veto cards. Right? You ever hear that back in the day? Oh, I'm the man, so I get the veto card, right? And anytime we're at a, a stalemate, I pull out my veto card and I say, well, you know, I get to make the decision. It's not in the Bible. It's not in the Bible. You're called to lay down your life for her. You're, you're called to willingly follow Jesus who didn't veto the cross, but said, Father, not your will, it's not my will, but your will be done. He's asking both of us, what would Jesus do? And not just that, what did Jesus do? 
So I want to end with this thought. As disciples of Jesus, if we were to actually live this, how would it change the world? Would it actually change anything? Here's how it would change things. Daryl Johnson said this, if a disciple of Jesus would just soak in Ephesians, working out its vision in the concrete realities of our 24-7 existence, the world would be transformed. And listen, that's not, just, that's not just your relationships could be transformed, but your families could be transformed. Your marriage could be transformed if you were to live out this text the way it was meant to be. Imagine two people trying to out one, uh, uh, sorry, outdo one another in love, in sacrifice, in service to each other. Could you imagine the type of marriage that would create? But it's hard to live, isn't it? This could change your world. And perhaps this could even save your marriage. For some of you right now, you're still operating in the way of the curse. Some wives, you're trying to dominate over your husband. Some husbands, you are harshly ruling over your wives. And you are slowly, by a thousand paper cuts, putting it to death. This text today is calling you to actually embody the person of Jesus, to live out the gospel today in loving, serving, sacrifice for your spouse. And I'm telling you right now, it could save your marriage. Divorce is at an all-time high. And I believe it's because we have not lived out and manifested the way of Jesus in our 24-7 existence. And if we just did this, man, our world would be transformed. It would change the planet. If we were just to live like Jesus. How do I know this could change the world? Because it did 2,000 years ago. When Jesus came into this planet, he disrupted the way that things were and the world was never the same. So much so we've oriented our calendar around it. Our holidays celebrate his birth and his death and resurrection. But more than that, it has affected equality. It has affected education. It has affected health care. It has affected our laws and the way that we live. Jesus has changed the world. And so I believe if we were to live out the way of Jesus in our 24-7 existence, we could change the city of Port Moody for good. We could change our workplaces. We could change our families. We could change the world. And so this is why at this point we are heading to the communion table. I invite the ushers up and invite the band to come up at this time. Because every single week as we come to the communion table... It was a reminder of two things. One, what Jesus has done for us to save us and transform us and renew us and forgive us. But two, it is a reminder that we are called to be like him and lay down our lives for one another in love. And so I'm going to pray for us and then we're going to come to the communion table. <sighs> Jesus, thank you for today. This is a hard word. It's a hard word. And yet for some of us, maybe it's music to our ears. I thought, man, I've sat in church for 40 years and I've never heard a pastor preach the text in such a way. Could it be true? Spirit of God, you've been working on my heart this week. Spirit of God, you've been transforming the way that I see this text this week. And I'm thankful for how you're leading us and teaching us as a community. I'm thankful for the teaching of those in our city and in our world who are shaping this moment. 
And I'm thankful mostly, God, for Jesus Christ. Who, man, as we look at his life, the way that he lived and the way that he loved, he's given us a pattern that could change the world. He's given us a pattern that could change our families. He's given us a pattern that could change the city. And it's one of humble, loving, laying down of one's life and sacrifice for the other. What a beautiful vision for the world if we would just stop caring for ourselves and caring for others. And so Jesus, as we come to the table today, we remember this reality which all of our theology and all of our lifestyles are, are shaped around. We accept the forgiveness that you give us for the times that we have not lived this out. And we remember that we too are called to lay down our lives in the way that you did. Thank you, Lord, for this. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to this message. If you've been listening to our sermons, but you're not a part of a church community, we would love to have you join us. You can go to cachurch.ca slash rail city to find out more information about getting involved in the life and mission of the Rail City campus of CA Church.